0: Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in for the sixth episode of our podcast, Groundbreakers. On this podcast, we interview early stage founders and real estate investors to hear their stories of what led them to have success in their career and hear their journey from zero to one. I'm joined today by Tony Placencia, co-founder of Underdog Protocol. Underdog empowers brands who create and manage digital assets on Solana with their APIs. Thanks so much for joining us, Tony. Very excited to have you on the show. Really happy to be here tonight, but Thanks for having me. <laughs> okay, love to hear your your story, Tony. You know what were you doing before Underdog? What's your career journey been like? Um, I guess I'll start with effectively the beginning. So I was born and raised in East Oakland,
1: which is I say East Oakland particularly because that is right next to the Raiders and 80s and Florida stadiums. It's like what people like to call a rougher part of town. So. I always like to think that, that I, I came up with a little bit of natural hustle. Fast forward, got a scholarship to play, play rugby in San Francisco and decided to study political philosophy. I'd always been really curious about structures and individual autonomy. Obviously, I didn't know that's what it was called when I was you know, 10, 12, 13, but as I grew up older, I realized that's what I was interested in. And so, um, studied political philosophy. Um, moved to San Francisco from Oakland, which is right across the bay, so just went to the bridge, lived in Golden Gate Park, and um, had to pay San Francisco rent, believe it or not. So, found went to actually a career fair at San Francisco State, went to school, um and saw a ton of different companies. Um, saw this company named Uber. Um, went up to the career fair, and they're like, "Hey, we, we're looking for like college students and, and people to sign up Uber drivers, um, like." Do You think you can do this? I was like, I don't, I don't know, but I need a job. Um, at the time, they were offering to pay, I think, like 30, 35 an hour. Or so, you know, that that was like amazing. Um, went to the interview, got the job, was there for two years. Um, that was my until like my sophomore, junior year of high school, or sorry, of college. Um, Jesus. And then went to ritual.co, which is a food tech company. Um, did a lot of growth and business development there. That was from like my sophomore, junior year to beginning of senior year, um, and then uh, was at Sitter, which was a property tech uh, marketplace that was uh, acquired by Thumbtack. And that was the entire year of my senior year and instead of my post post grad job, um, and then COVID nineteen started my own consulting firm, a couple startups. Uh, first startup was a SaaS company. Um, for small businesses. The second was a creator economy startup that went through Launch House, which was an A16Z uh, backed accelerator, and then um, consulted different F100 um, and uh, tech startups uh, in Latin America and in here in the States. So um, TLDR, um, just a hustler who uh, was trained really in VD, um, picked up some partnerships and product um, skills and, um, is now in web three.
0: That's a really cool career journey all happening while you were still in college, which is crazy how much you were doing while also balancing schoolwork. And I love the call out of being originally from Oakland. So having a ton of hustle. Um, I, I mean, I think I see that with just how much you worked while even at school, um, yeah. what were some of like, I guess the biggest learnings in those jobs that you've now taken into what well, you're building at underdog.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think a lot of the zero to one nature of building a startup is hustle, and I think point five to one, then after one is a lot more of planning. Even though planning is just a great exercise, it's not something you should really do. Um, but I think a lot of it is pure hustle. So one of the big things that I learned, and I was at Uber from from 2016 to 2018, so they were relatively. Already known they were really scaling out. They had an idea of what their core product was. They can take multiple product bets. They can go into different markets and try different acquisition channels. But a lot of it was still hustle, right? Because it was such a weird product. Um, and such a weird new market, um, that you just needed to hustle to bring these Uber drivers on, right? Like, why would I drive Uber? That makes no sense for me. But Like, man, I noticed that you're wearing like, J- like these brand new Jordans on your feet. Like I see that hat that's on that club. Like, then you dive into that. So I think you know, number one was just pure hustle. Um, number two, I like to separate my career from like stage one is hustle, Uber and Ritual, and then it's um, application, and that's really the tail end of Ritual and start of Setter and Thumbtack, um, which was collaborating and having an opinion. Um, I think like a lot of your early career is you're just taking action and doing things that you're told. Um But really, when you start elevating is when you start collaborating, what can I do to be helpful for you? Um Anything that I can help you with? Um And then you start saying, you know, that's a great idea, but I think we can do this instead. Um, and I think, you know, number one is hustle. Number two is collaboration um, are the, is, is the second piece. Uh, and then number three, I think I'll separate it, is just having opinion and, and having action in some sort of gumption. I think like people with gumption who just want to get stuff done. Um, And and who have their own thoughts and and go out and get it and they don't care if they're wrong Um, Not saying are always successful, but they put themselves in a place where they should be and I think those are the three things um, That I've taken
0: away from at least the early stages of my career with underdog No, I love that you are So methodical how you even think about your career of like the hustle to the collaboration to then being a thought leader in the organizations that you're in I think the piece around opinions and feeling like you can test them out in market is really, really critical for a founder. Um, so I guess like given that call out, you know, what gave you enough confidence to finally be like, you know what? I'm going to leave thumbtack and I'm going to start building underdog. And I, yeah. I know COVID-19 hit. So maybe that was a push you needed, you know, but what gave you enough confidence to be like, I'm going to do this full time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: For sure. And,
1: um, I'll, I'll be very clear. You know, Underdog is now the third startup, and for lack of a better term, it's the third one that's been VC funded. But it's by all terms, and it's the one that the second largest VC funded one that that I've been a part of at least. But it's been the most successful in terms of distribution metrics, whatever you want you want to to think about as success. Um, but my first real startup was certified hellocertified.com. It was a SaaS platform for small businesses that aggregated all of their COVID-19 requirements. And then we partnered with Stanford Medical, Stanford Health to give them a uh, certification as COVID compliant. So um, left Thumbtack, pretty nice severance, pretty nice package, um, was just chilling. Um, then my manager who was at Thumbtack, Brandon, was a McKinsey consultant in the past, hit me up about certified and we started noodling on it. He brought in one of his other McKinsey friends and then we all decided to start the company. That was me doing a lot of B2B sales at the SMB mid marketing enterprise level with restaurants. Um, thinking about and talking about and learning about how they were approaching COVID and how it was affecting their digital strategy in the future. Um, and that was a lot of just grunt work, just nasty, nasty hustle, like waking up at 5 a.m. and calling the East Coast, right? Because that's when they were getting the their restaurants ready. In. And so that's, that's one push, which was like, okay, if you give me something entirely on my own, I can do this myself. Right? Like I can lead a sales division. I got us to 10K MRR um, just by myself, um, just doing cold calls. Um, then it was certified. I'm sorry, it was a diffusion, which was essentially like a Substack meets a Pinterest um creator tool went through launch house started it with my friend with my friend from high school which you know is another lesson in itself but um that taught me a lot about people management and building things yourself um so uh i think that was that that was what i needed after learning that i could sell from zero to one um with a with just an idea Then it was like, I can actually build the, 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 the railroad of this idea. And I know how to get stake, uh, stakeholders bought into my vision of the world. We raised like 45 K in angel funding, which was small, but you know, for me, we raised closer to a million for the last startup, but I didn't do any fundraising. It was all the McKinsey guys, you know, for me to raise, raise that 45 K and then get some users work with big, you know, like Kyla Scanlon, who's a big fintech creator. Um, that that was like the confidence that I needed. Um and then me and Kevin met um after me and my co-founder had broke up and I said, well, I don't know if I can get along with another person or work with another person. Um all during this I was consulting still, so I was still making money and, and doing a lot of these different things. Um and then me and Kevin met and I think that's where I put a lot of the hustle plus the people ops and the product skills together. Um, and then just, you know, myself, I'm always Apologetically, myself. And I think, you know, there's even personal talks like I'm always just going to be me. Um, Let's like run on the product side and on the distribution side. and, And it seems
0: like it's been resonating, which is something that makes me happy. No, that's awesome. And I feel like it's going through the trials and tribulations of starting those two companies, I think that have set you up to start doing underdog in like a much better fashion and, you know, raising more capital, getting a lot more success and, you know, resonating with the audience. And I definitely see it on Twitter, and I resonate with it, hence, reached out, now we're chatting. <laughs> um, yeah. So, lo- lo- appreciate you sharing the story and, like, you know, what's kind of molded you into what you are and what you're building. Um, so, I guess, you know, it's a perfect follow-up to, like, what led you to start Underdog? Like, what was the main problem in the market you saw? And, you know, what led you to build the current solution of Underdog?
1: yeah for sure so this is another long story um i think listeners i'm sorry i'm sorry but i i i can be long-winded i, I try to make it enjoyable though but um fun fact we raised our pre-seed around two years ago so from this recording 2023 2024 we raised in 2022 so it's been a long long journey for kevin and i and the first iteration that we raised on was actually for social tokens um, so enabling individuals to get support and supporters to invest in their um and people they believe and so you logged in you launched your social token you invited people to join your your network they invested and you, know, you could do all that stuff like you did like soul linkedin soul link uh now but that was in like january to maybe june july august um so that was step 1 which was just pure ideation um we had built a lot of the minting infrastructure that's currently used in the API then. Um, and as we were building the social tokens, we realized it's a really complex topic. And um, outside of maybe creators, not a lot of people care for it. And it seems you know, people still not really care for it. But anyways, besides the point, um, we pivoted then to reputation and community management. And so, enabling communities to manage their contributors and reward them with NFTs and, and then kind of a system. Got some good fire um, in terms of like the no code aspect of the product, which is, I think, one of our big differentiators in the market. Um, was working with college clubs, started working with DAOs, worked with Super Team DAOs super early, um, and had a key conversation with them where they were like, hey, you know, your product is great, but. To be more flexible for what we do, um, how about an API? And so that was right around Breakpoint in 2020, 2022, twenty two. Point three 23. Sorry, 23. And we um, went to Breakpoint, started doing customer research. seemed like, um, you know, that people wanted an API that, that did minting and managing of um, transferable and non transferable NFTs at the time very easily. So um, started building, and then we released our beta V0 for Sandstorm, uh, which was January of 2020, 2023. Um, hit it off and then just started iterating one Grizzly Thon in April. Um, and then it was off to the races until now, uh, where you know now we have the Metaplex utility layer um, in partnership with them. So the key problem that I think we've seen over time um, is... Number one it's just it's very difficult and expensive to interact with NFTs. Number two people are reinventing the wheel and they're not seeing the real value prop of web3. So I think those are the two first big problems that we identified. Um you know Solana Mobile had like 3 months and 3 engineers which I think is closer to 250k to build one button, one piece of our API. Um for the for the Solana Mobile uh, for Solana Mobile. Um Solarplex had built an entire custom contract to build something like our um, like our API, and it took them three weeks, and they were set up within two days um, with an underdog. And obviously, you know, now they're at, at 10,000 users, and they're using these NFTs all the time. Uh, now, what we're really seeing is NFTs are a way to, um, to attract, engage, and retain your users, and they can be used to develop on Solana, the platform itself. Um, so what we're seeing is there's just a really big disjointed process on developing on Solana. Specifically with NFTs, you have your RPCs on one side, you have your databases on the other side, you have your minting APIs on the other side, you have all your custom contracts. Um, and that's a pain in the ass for developer And for enterprises, candidly. So a lot like we see, you know, like Next.js as the standard for the framework, and Versal wraps on top of it for people to deploy and ship apps. That's what we want to do with the Metaplex programs and the Metaplex standards. Is wrap them up and enable anyone to interact with them, and um, you know we've been lucky that Metaplex sees us as a really good partner, um, and we see them as a great partner as well, and so we're able to tackle these problems together of of simplifying how to build with NFTs on Solana super easily.
0: Yeah, so I guess you know diving a little bit deeper into that, you know how a like how would you define NFTs and why are they valuable, and then b like where do you see the future of NFTs going? Because I think, you know, back in 2021, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, were like this. People just tied them and associated them with these photos on the internet, and not a lot of people found value to them. But I think you're building a very real business and helping other businesses use them and how they engage their users. Like, can you describe to me, like, what gets you excited about this space? Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, So, three different questions. What gets you excited? What's the real use case for NFTs? um i forget what the third one was but let's stick with those two so like an nft is essentially to me a there's two it's two it's two pieces really at the database marker and the global state machine so i'll dumb that down or i'll ner- i'll un it rather sorry not to call anyone dumb because i am dumb myself but to un-nerdify it um on the distributed database that is the blockchain database markers give or compressed nfts nfts give you more context in that row or column of the database. That, that's simply what it is, right? Um, and so that's, that's number one. And then number two is their tools in a business's growth stack, meaning that a lot like, um, Tony would use like a zoom in or, you know, underdog would use a zoom info to scrape leads, um, would use a HubSpot to sequence them, would use a MailChimp to then, or, you know, use a HubSpot to outreach, use a MailChimp to sequence them or do a drip campaign, um, uh, use like, a, you know, Google Analytics to track all of their usage, um, and then use like product announcer, you know, these small little announcements, notifications to to get them back into the product. You can use NFTs for a lot of but you're saying, "Tony, they're digital like digital markers, right? That's the point is that they're the small markers in this database, and so you can use them as interesting ways to write to the chain, right? That's essentially what you're doing every time you send a push notification. You're adding it to the to, to your database, right? Every time you give points to this user, you're adding more context to that notification. So um, two, I guess I'll try to simplify that convoluted answer a little bit, is NFTs are two things. Number one is a uh, really easy way to give context on the distributed database that is a blockchain. And number two, they are tools that enable businesses to attract, engage, and retain their users. And what gets me super excited about this space is real-world businesses using them to create interoperable experiences. So what do I mean by that? Once again, very easy. I think if you can imagine using your Google and having anything that you've done associated with your Google, wherever you sign with it, that's awesome. Meaning that I sign up with my TikTok account. I sign up with Google to TikTok. I sign up with Google to my Facebook account and my Instagram account or my Twitter account. All of that content is held in this one you know, Google email, um, and you're able to sign, get access, do all these really cool things just with that one identifier. Um, and what's po- what enables that to happen? Well, it's the blockchain, and it's also these small little NFTs, these these database markers. Right. So, long-winded answer, but hopefully that those last three points made it a bit more
0: clear. No, makes a lot of sense. I think uh, you're describing something very similar to like cookies with digital ads and how you're tracking every single user as you're going along the journey. Exactly. And and I know I'm really just taking a page out of your playbook because I know that's how you've been spinning the narrative with how you're describing what you're building. So props to you for making that connection because I think that really simplifies what you're building for people that may not be as deep in the crypto ecosystem. Um, So I guess... You know, going back to your business, going back to your partnership with Metaplex, I feel like you're the king of BD, Tony, I really do. I feel like I'm always seeing things on social media about how you're like getting a new partnership in place, how you're not working with this new company. Like, what's your secret? And I know you mentioned, you know, calling in at 8 a.m. Eastern time when you're waking up at five on the West Coast. Like, is a secret just crazy hustle? Like, can you share us like, you know, how you, how you're able to grow yeah. underdog as you do?
1: Yeah, I don't think I, I like I mentioned like zero to one is a lot of hustle, uh, and you know zero to one is a hustle, zero to point five is hustle, point five to one a little bit more methodical. So I think um, there's a there's a lot I guess that I can talk about um, sales for or sales about what would be most helpful I guess like. Um, my, my secret formula is just be 95% of a good human being and 5% decent, decent at business. That 5% is like know your product, um, know business goals, know how to ask proper questions, um, things like that. But what would be the most helpful thing that I can debunk or talk about um, about for sales?
0: Yeah, I think like for founders listening in and are thinking about how to build a B2B business, I think you've done a really good job of... There's only so many players right now that are known in Solana, and I think you've done a good job working with a lot of them and having Underdog be the back end of how they're building. Like, how did you first go about cracking into these first companies and establishing yourself as like a good partner for them? Because I think for a lot of new founders, they're wondering how do they break in into enterprise sales or B2B early startup sales.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, you have to understand your market, I think is, is step one is, are you selling to an SMB? Are you less? Are you selling to a mid market? Are you selling to an enterprise? Um, and then I think a lot of that will play on what your sales process and your sales strategy should be. So, you know, for example, we've had conversations with like a Chuck E. Cheese. We have conversations with like a BMW, um, but will they take me seriously? Probably not. We don't have the reputation at the enterprise level, and we don't have that SOC two compliance or whatever the whatever we're gonna whatever the hell it's called, right? So at the enterprise level, we're not going to win. So I'm not going to at least at some point have done that. SMB and mid market, well, we can do that pretty easily. We have the brand recognition. So I think number one is just understand, um, you know, where in the market you lie. Number two is I think understand like. Two different type of salespeople that there are. Like number one is like people think of like Mister Mister Mr. Mysterious or like the used car salesman, and they're like, "Well, I don't want to be the used car salesman; that's gross." Um, like I-, I want to be like Mister Mysterious, um, and this is like this charming, well-connected, like always thinks about distribution, always knows what to say. He's like an incredible golfer, right? So just understanding what kind of salesperson you are. As long as you're not a used car sell uh, a used car salesperson who's like pushy. Um, about all this stuff, like it doesn't really matter. So what you have to be is a, is a renaissance type of person. Like it helps, like the renaissance salesperson is really a product and a business development person who just wants to understand the ideal customer, wants to be there for the ideal customer. Um, is really good at like adapting language. So talks like their customer is always using that to position the product really well. Um, and it's always in their customer's ear trying to understand what they can do better. Um, What's bothering them, um, or 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 what there is top of mind for their customer. So I think number one is understand your segment. Number two is understand what type of salesperson you are. Usually, you at this early of a stage zero to one, you always want to be a renaissance salesperson who can understand your ideal customer, can listen to them, ask good questions, um, can speak like their customer as well. And I think. That's that sales model, you know, like where do you get the most leads from? What market are you in? How much uh, revenue exists in all of it? How many people are making a decision? Right. Cause in enterprises, it's a lot versus in a small business, it's really little. Like, how do you become then a champion Mix with what type of salesperson you are enables you to then know how to approach doing business development or at least sales. And then from then it's just like, how do I run a really good sales process? Right. And. Um, you know, number one is sales model. So understand your sales model. Number two is understand what type of salesperson you are. Then number three is just have a really good and clean sales process going from all the way from like prospecting to making contact to qualifying to nurturing to presenting the offer to objections to closing the sale. Customer is going to be in the middle of all of that and you want to do it with them in mind. Um, and so I think those are the three like kind of big things. Then an extra is just always follow up. I think a lot of sales, sales. Deals are lost because people don't follow up at, um, and like usually, I I don't know what, I forget what the math is. It's very constant. After seven, you have like, you increase your chances by like 20 to 50% of converting the deal, or that's when most deals are even won after like the seventh attempt. So just always follow up, right? Understand your sales model, understand who you are as a salesperson, aim to be a renaissance salesperson, have a really clean sales process and always be following up. Right and like no doesn't and then the, I guess the second one just to make five no no doesn't mean no just
0: keep on digging I feel like you just handed someone the secret playbook for what they need now <laughs> to just win in B two B sales so if you're ever having a class Tony let me know <laughs> um. uh,
1: yeah I mean you know B two B sales is, sales is, is difficult right like I'm I'm not I'm I am good at sales but I'm definitely not amazing um. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very good at zero to one, very good at SMB mid market sales. I'm okay at enterprise sales, but it's a deep topic, right? Like this is only the high level stuff. And then there's like, how do you do, how do you nurture? How do you do a proper discovery session? Uh, how do you like qualify product, uh, prospects and get them out of your pipeline fast enough? Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, a as much as people love to shit on business developers and, and salespeople, it's 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 a very demanding and very grueling, like grueling job. And um, I'd venture to say sometimes it's harder than than being a developer because um you know, a lot of the job of being a salesperson isn't on online.
0: For sure. You no, know, I think a lot of businesses realize that salespeople are some of the most critical, right? Like they're the ones actually getting you customers, totally. people that are actually trying the product. Um, so, without a good sales team, like a company doesn't really have anything in my opinion um
1: depends the type of company type of product, but yeah, totally like you know, Slack didn't really need a sales channel because it was a product led um you know like kind of like bottoms up product where it only needed a couple people within organizations to reach some sort of like value liquidity. Then once it did that, sure. it only made sense to go sell an enterprise deal to that company right so depends on the type of product and then how you decide to layer on the sales motion or if you start out with the sales motion um,
0: to begin with. No, for sure. For sure, it's a good call out. Um, so I guess kind of going off of that, you know, as you guys have been continuously you know, closing more deals and moving things forward, what are you most excited about at Underdog? Like what are you guys building that you're most looking forward yeah. to showing to the world?
1: Yeah, uh, I'm excited for a lot of the use cases that we have coming out. Um, so I like the one that I, I'm excited to see all, all the time is the SoulFlare flare quests. Um, I don't know if, you, if, uh, if you've seen those when they do stuff with MetaMask. So the rewards are all underdog NFTs. Um, so we get the, we get a ton of those on our contract all the time. I love seeing those come through. Um, solarplex as well. And I like to categorize those under like customer experience. It's really cool to see NFTs being used for, for customer experience. Our vision is to um enable data rich blockchain by giving nfts and developers superpowers um and like what that looks like is is interesting and it's what we're really trying to figure out in the next year is we've created really great we think top tier infrastructure on the minting side to mint, manage and index your nfts with our minting api we have our own wallet as a service product passport um that i've mentioned before that that, that we've seen before but i think um, as we think deeply about our vision, what does that exactly look like? And so one of the things that gets me excited is me and Kevin love to put together products built using Underdog. Like we've put galleries together, we've put mint sites together, um, like we've done mini games together just to see what developers can build. And so that's what gets me excited is um, outside of having more... Marketing and more interesting marketing like podcasts, webinars, half days, like that's going to be fun. Um, it's going to be really cool to get to be in a different mode with Kevin of building instead of last year, us trying to figure the core business out. We figured out our bread and butter. Um, now we need to jumpstart and ignite it and building some interesting applications, whether it's a CDP for enterprises to import their data from different, different places. Um, And use compressed NFTs um, as a way to log it, whether that's, you know, an analytics platform using compressed NFTs. Um, Those are the type of things that I think make me excited about NFTs in general, but also about the next year. Um, And and the other piece that I'll call out is obviously our partnership with Metaplex, the utility layer, the startup program. Um, A lot of these things are going to be really exciting. And I'm hoping that, um, you know, we can bring the community and the ecosystem along for the ride. That's awesome
0: um definitely some big vision stuff um so excited to see it all play out and i think you know the call outs for you get most excited about what your customers are building using underdog and like what they're able to bring to life yeah i think speaks to just who you are as a founder of like wanting to see other people succeed Mm -hmm. and empowering them so i think you guys are building like the perfect mission and also uh, what you're doing
1: i will also call i will i will also call out that yes yes that is all very true thank you for making me a very nice person, Domingo. I appreciate <laughs> that. But as an API company, um, I, I only succeed when my customers succeed. And candidly, um, I shit out pretty bad building a, pl- a product myself, a platform myself. So if I can empower people to build it themselves and get behind really smart founders like a Vixit, right? I'm on, on calls with Vixit every week. You were on calls every bi- like biweekly. The team at Sleep, right? The team at Soul Link. Um, if I can just be someone who helps them um, and, and you know I think that's fine and I think that's great and the end product will then be hopefully underdog sees some of the value and if not then I don't, I, I could really care less. Hopefully.
0: no fair enough fair enough I, I guess we swift gears a little bit you know you, you've talked about you know what you're building so, who, you, who you've been building it with and some of the cool milestones you've been able to hit what have been some of the biggest challenges I guess bringing underdog to life has not been an easy year in crypto um so we'd we'll love to hear, you know, that side.
1: Yeah, for sure. That's a great question. I mean, building a startup on Solana is difficult. Uh, it's very difficult. Um, it's been fun. Right? Like I think building in Web three is difficult by its own nature because of the type of market that we've decided to build in. Whether that's price wars, whether that's distribution competitions, whether that's um, FTX imploding and the entire kind of core of whatever the hell we're we're building on goes shuts down sometimes like um it's an interesting place to be um but some of the biggest challenges for us i think have been what every founder can relate to number 1 is bad hires or just like contractors right is like how do you manage people effectively that's always such a challenge um and i think there's been points where you know we've we've hired people or we've worked with people and it's put us put it it's, it's We've been in front of a customer three months later, and then the problem bites us in our, and we're like, oh, what the? That, that was so long ago. So I think number one is like, you know, people, people ops, people management. That's what every founder, I think, goes through. Number two is customer expectations and ability to de- deliver. Um, me and Kevin, it's a two person team, and I'm non technical, completely non technical. Um, I can write scripts, I can do small Zapier integrations, I can. Give him like, you know, I understand Solana infrastructure and NFT infrastructure. So I, uh, I, I can like jam with him there, but I'm non-technical. Kevin is completely non-technical. So there's times where our customers need us to do really custom things or, and there's things that the API needs. Um, and it's really hard to balance the two with one, one core engineer. So I think that's number two. Let's just call it resource allocation, right? Cutting customer expectation. Um, and then number three is distribution and product. Um, Finding your bread and butter in both is hard, right? Like it, we didn't know what we were doing for a lot of the first year. Were we social tokens? Were we reputation? No, you, you dumbass. It was, it was, it was like the minting stuff, like making minting very easy is your bread and butter. And it happens if you make a no code interface for, you know, anyone like myself, right? Tony, or even like a creator, uh, who doesn't know how to code to mint, manage and send NFTs you can make something very easy. And I think it took us a long time to get there like 6 to 8 months. Bread and butter figuring out what else can we build? That's when the wallet came along. And then distribution was well, what are what is our main message, right? Like what what's our differentiator in the market? Um and I think that that it's just not hard, it's just it's a journey, right? And a lot of it is just the being in a journey is is difficult. And that then makes it even more difficult when you're in a not a wobbly, but in a new industry. Um, and so the challenges have been challenges, but I think they would take they would be very similar for any other founder across any other
0: market. No, thanks for sharing. Um, and I think that definitely resonates with me, <laughs> also as a founder. Uh, I think understanding uh, good talent and how to manage, especially contractors, is something difficult and. I think first-time yeah. founders especially run into issues, but you learn on the job and you get better over time. Um, so I guess this perfectly sets me up for this last question for you, Tony. Like, you know, you are now a three-time founder. You've seen some of the struggles, some of the successes. If you go back and give yourself advice, and for people that are looking to just start off, you know, no. what are you know some of the biggest call-outs you would, you would share?
1: Yeah, number one, distribution matters more than product. Um, so just be really good at distribution for your product and for yourself. That second one kind of builds on top of it is storytelling. So storytelling is really important at every level, whether it's your product narrative, your own narrative, your brand narrative, the way that your product sells, like all storytelling is just the most important thing that you can do. Um, and then third is build your network and work on it, especially zero to one, right? Like I'm assuming this is where a lot of it is tailored is. Um, you're going to find your first customers. You're going to get your first investors. You're going to get your first referrals from your network. Um, and if not, then it's going to be a lot harder, sadly. Right. And you you have to find people who have a bigger network and then work those relationships. So I I would say that's the third one. Um, and like that's what I would do if I could go back, um, and and just talk to myself is like, just focus on distribution, which I think is what we did right at Hello Certified. And it wasn't me calling the shots. Right. The second one I was building it again which is funny because I was a second time founder at that point. So number yeah, number one is put distribution, not product. Number two was, I'm losing my train of thought here, Domingo. Boom,
0: we lost our train of thought, boys. That's how we ran into podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> no, but th- those were great. So thanks for sharing. Um, I guess, any closing remarks you wanna to share, Tony? If people wanna learn more about Underdog Protocol or learn more about you, like where could they go? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah.
1: Ooh, number two is storytelling, by the way, guys. I just remember boys and girls. Yeah, underdogprotocol.com. Um, you can find blogs, product descriptors, videos, everything there. Um, if you want to get in contact with me, tony at underdogprotocol.com. That's my email. Um, just tell me what you need in the subject so I don't have to read the entire email, please. Um, and then third is you can follow me on Twitter, which I'm sure Domingo will. Will link and um, I'm always happy to top on calls and help with product. Like, I, I genuinely love technology and technology products. It's um, you know, fascinating to see how much they help people, even if it's just sitting there and scrolling on stuff. You're still solving the problem of loneliness to a weird effect, but it's just been fascinating to see it progress over the last 10, 15 years and be part of that, right? So, I love technology products. I guess you can listen. You're listening to this podcast. Maybe you think I know a little bit of something. I think I do. I can help.
0: Then hopefully I can be helpful. Love it. Uh, Well, thanks everyone for listening to the sixth episode of Groundbreakers. We drop episodes every Tuesday morning, and we will continue to have awesome guests like Tony share their story. So thanks so much for coming on, Tony. Bye, everyone.